Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Heart of the House, closing out this series. Uh, I believe this is week five. And man, Pastor Timmy, were y'all here last week and Pastor Timmy talked about worship? Man, that was amazing um, and super excited about today, talking about how we reach the next generation, a little back to school celebration style. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Joshua chapter four, Joshua chapter four, and I'm gonna give you a little layout for today. I'm gonna give you a little layout for today. I'm gonna read a passage of scripture. I'm gonna give you uh, a little bit of prayer. We're gonna pray. We'll talk about the title a little bit. And then after that, we're gonna go full force. And so I don't know if you're like me, how many of you like taking a risk, going on a little adventure? Okay, we're in a very safe house today. Thank you. I see one, two and a half, three. Okay. My wife's more of the safe one. She's like, babe, make sure you buckle the kids up when you drive. I'm like, ah, you know, just have fun. You know, so we're going to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to give you a title. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to dive right in. Okay. And today's topic about reaching the next generation, this is not me trying to talk at you, this is me talking with you. And I believe that God really does wanna do some amazing things in our house today. Uh, We didn't just show up to be entertained, can I have an amen? We didn't show up because I've got something special to say. We showed up because Jesus is still the king. He still sits on the throne. He still calls us sons. He still calls us daughters. And so that's why we showed up today. And so Joshua chapter four, verses four through seven, it says, so Joshua called together the 12 men that he had chosen one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle, everybody say middle. Go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. If you're taking notes today, I wanna speak to you from this topic right here, the story of the stones, the story of the stones. God, we love you and we thank you for today. God, thank you that we have shown up, God, to meet with you, God, to worship you, God, to have you just dissect our hearts, God, and do whatever you wish to do. God, I step out of the way and Holy Spirit, you step in and you do absolutely whatever you wanna do, Lord. We love you, we praise you, God. Thank you, Lord, that tonight as young adults and anybody from 18 to 30 should come to the annex at 7 p.m. tonight. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. The story of the stones. I was 12 years old and I came to a youth conference here at this church at the annex, the building at the front of the property where young adults will be happening tonight at seven o'clock. And I went into that building as a 12 year old and a lady by the name of Christine Kane was preaching. She was preaching. Now this was before Christine Kane was like, Christine Kane. But she still had just as much spice, just as much fire. And she's up there and she's preaching and she's going forward. And she said, hey, if you don't know the calling that God has on your life, if you don't know why he's created you, you need to understand there's a purpose, there's a DNA, there's, there's, there's identity inside of you that he put there. If you don't know why it's there, I believe you can come down to the altar tonight and God's gonna speak to you and tell you what your calling is. Me at 12 years old, I seemed pretty simple to me. And so I walked up to the front and I stood at the altar and Back in the day, the annex had this nasty purple carpet. It was actually just confirmed in a news article, that's where COVID started. Um, So, so sorry guys. Um, But I go to the altar and I literally ask God this question. I said, God, what do you have for me? 
And he said, Paul, I want you to be a youth pastor to a broken and forgotten generation. And me, I thought, man, it feels like Chick-fil-A. I made a request, they gave me what I needed. No need to stay down here and I just go back to my seat. I don't even know if I let anybody pray for me. I said, all right, Lord. Well then, Years later, I would graduate high school and I would go and be a part of Healing Place College here at the church. And, and then a couple years after that, when I was 22, they would set me in place to be the youth pastor here at our Highland campus. And for me, I absolutely love it. It's been eight years, I'm 30 now. Absolutely love being the youth pastor. Still believe in the next generation. Still love seeing students get set free. Still love watching them worship. Still love when a student goes, Paul, I thought it was this way, but then God did this and he used me in this way. I love that. It doesn't get old to me, but I gotta be honest, I have a confession this morning. The first two to three years of being a youth pastor, some of the most draining, discouraging years of my life. I'll never forget after year one being like, that was intense. <laughs> then year two, and somewhere in between there and year three, I, I just, God, why do you keep bringing me students who are so messed up? Now, if you're a student, you're like, gee, thanks, Paul. It's okay. <laughs> you have a messed up youth pastor too. <laughs> but I, I was like, God, why, why do you keep bringing me students who can't get off of this addiction. They, 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 they can't seem to listen to the music that, that, that worships and edifies you. They, they don't want to read their Bible. They rather spend time in social. God, why do you keep bringing me students who, who are still addicted to, to different things like pornography? God, why do you keep bringing me these students? He said, Paul, what did I call you to? I said, you called me to be a youth pastor. He said, no, no, no. Who? Who did I call to come to you? I said, you said I'd be a, broken, I'd be a youth pastor to the broken and forgotten. I'm sitting there frustrated and I said, God, you said it was broken and forgotten. He said, Paul, broken, broken and forgotten. Not, not whole and remembered, but broken and forgotten. And then it clicked right there. And I thought, I will no longer be upset or have fear or frustration when students come in with their situations. Because they're broken and forgotten. They're not whole and remembered. And then it just clicked. And so the questions in the past that used to frustrate me and aggravate me and make me kind of back away and coward and cave in, you know, Paul, did you know that so-and-so got caught vaping in the bathroom during youth? Yeah, I knew that. Like, why are you smiling? I'm like, I knew it. Paul, did you know that so-and-so, they're still drinking on the weekends? Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Paul, so-and-so's mom is at the office again. They're still talking back to her. I know, I know. Paul, you know these things? Yeah, because I can't be surprised that there is a real enemy who's after a very real generation that God wants to use. And so my perspective had to change and I had to start seeing the students not for their problems, but for their potential. And at that point, everything changed and the questions didn't scare me. And so when you begin to look past their problems and see their potential, you see that they're not just those kids, they're our kids. And that they, they don't just have problems, they actually have real pain. But if you could teach them and show them how to worship and how to surrender those problems, God will use it to crush the enemy's face and to reach a generation and to change people's lives. That they're not just those kids, they're our kids. They're not just someone else's son or daughter. They're the sons and the daughters of the king that you and I worship. So my question that may challenge you today is what if the potential of a younger generation was attached to the perspective of an older generation? 
what if we didn't just look at them, but we spoke to them and called it out of them? My son hears about 10% of the things I say, but it does not mean that I'm not talking. I am still talking to him. We have the right, the authority to call these things out of them because the greatest tragedy is not that they would step up and fail. The greatest tragedy is that the potential was inside of them the whole time and nobody ever called it out of them. And so they go from being eight years old to being 80 years old, but their heart is still the same because nobody ever said, there's more inside of you. What if their potential was attached to our perspective? Because at HPC, we believe in reaching the next generation. We believe that investing in the future starts right now. If you wait for the future to invest into the future, you've already waited too late. We've missed our opportunity because we have a duty, a calling, a responsibility to know the harsh truth that our church, our family, HPC is only one generation away from being extinct. Churches do not really close the doors because they run out of finances. Churches, churches really close the doors because we have failed to invest into the next generation. Now, I don't know if during the song that they were singing, if you were watching on the screen, but it was filled with pictures and pictures of, of hundreds of kids coming to Kids Fest. It was filled of all of our other campuses and all these amazing things. You gotta know that the generation that we are a part of, that we invest into, it's bigger than just this campus. We got a really big house here at Hillen Place. And you see all these pictures of Kids Fest and kids worshiping. And, and last week, 34 students got baptized at youth. You gotta know there's potential inside of them. There's something inside of them that it is our responsibility to call it out of them. Psalms 145 verses three and four, it says, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. That no one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. Each generation has a responsibility to the generations that are coming after them. And it's our job to show them God's greatness and to proclaim his power because if we wait, if we wait for another generation to do it, then we are breaking the chain that the kingdom commands. We have to tell the younger generation of how good God is. Now, I believe that one of the greatest stories of seeing God from generation to generation is the story of Moses and Joshua. I must give you a warning though. This story, before we dive in, this story is crazy. I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes, sometimes I, my Bible's falling apart. Sometimes I read my Bible and I go, for real? Brooke, did you know that some kids made fun of a prophet who was bald and then God sent bears to eat all those kids? It's in your Bible. There's some crazy stuff in here, man. There's a story somewhere about a king who lost a knife in his fat. Like, how you do that? It's in there though. But this story of Moses and Joshua, it is crazy. There is tragedy and triumph. There is a lot of ups and a lot of downs. There's a lot of disobedience and a lot of obedience. There's some crazy things that happen. It is the story about the responsibility of one generation to another generation. It is the story that, you know what? We need to be a generation that is unwavering on the pillar that you know what? God has a incredible heart. 
and his presence, we must enter into it with reverence. I know that the stage is awesome. We have incredible uh, lights and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we must have reverence for his holiness. It cannot be something that an older generation talked about. Because it is something that will change a generation after a generation after a generation. That is why we must invest into the next generation. Now, I've got 21 minutes and 30 seconds. I am about to dive into this story and it is gonna be absolute mayhem for 21 minutes and now 23 seconds. Now, this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to open up your heart. I'm asking you to remember that I am not trying to talk at you, I am talking with you. I know I'm a youth pastor, and the reason I get a high and tight fade is because I have a lot of gray hair from your kids, okay? So I'm gonna dive in pretty strong, all right? A couple, like 10 years ago, could have never delivered this message. They'd have been like, hey, get off the stage and loosen your jeans, bro. 30 now, got a third kid on the way, and I'm not saying this from a place of experience, I'm saying this from a place of brokenness. You gotta know that. You gotta know that myself, our team and our leaders, we see students, the kids team, we see students who come in with real problems and they're looking for somebody to reach them, to invest in them, to speak up, okay? You still love me? Okay, turn on the air, all right. Exodus chapter 12. Moses leads the people out of Egypt and they are headed to the promised land. Exodus 13, God led the Israelites in a cloud by day and a fire by night. Exodus 14, Moses holds up his wooden staff. He parts the Red Sea. The Egyptians are chasing them again, trying to kill them. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. He turns back around, holds up his wooden staff again. The waves crash back over him, kill all the Egyptians. I like that story. Exodus 15, Israelites are in the desert of Shur and they're needing some drinking water. They're whining, they're crying out, but all they have is bitter water. And Moses cries out to God on the people's behalf and he turns that bitter water into healthy drinking water. Exodus 16, they're in the desert, they're starving and God rains down manna for them to eat. Exodus 17, they're fighting the Amalekites. And as long as Joshua and Aaron are holding up Moses' arms, they keep winning the battle. In Exodus 20, God gives Moses the 10 commandments. Numbers 13, they send out 12 spies to check on the land, the promised land, the land they've talked about, dreamed about, just prayed about all these different things, the land that God's told them about. They send out 12 spies. Two of those spies are Joshua and Caleb. And so all 12 come back after scouting out the land for 40 days. Everybody say 40. He scout out the land for 40 days and Joshua and Caleb come back and they say, Moses, dude, we can do it. The land is good. We should go and take it. The other 10 spies come back and say, don't do it. And they believe those 10 spies and God gets upset with their disbelief, their lack of faith for having a negative attitude, a horrible spirit and complaining. He says, okay, y'all wanna believe them? Here's the deal. (laughs) You're gonna wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A day is gonna equal a year that you're gonna wander every single time because you went in the land, you did not believe that it was good, that I was big enough, strong enough, faithful enough to help you. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's a moment at Kadesh where Moses dishonors God with how he represents his holiness. He thinks he can do something in his own strength and he does not demonstrate the holiness of God well. And so they get to the the end of this wandering 
And God takes Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, he takes him up on Mount Nebo. And he says, I want you to look across the Jordan River. I want you to look at Jericho and look at Canaan. That was the promised land. That is the promised land. But Moses, you will not enter the promised land because you failed to demonstrate my holiness. The Bible says that they actually, he takes Moses, you can read in Deuteronomy 34, he takes him down into a valley. And God actually buries Moses himself, the Bible says. Which convicted me this past week to think that even in my disobedience, God is still with me. There's been a lot of things I've done that have pushed people away. Moses did a lot of amazing things, but at 120 years old, God says, there was something you did though. You didn't demonstrate my holiness well. And therefore I can't allow you to lead my chosen people into the promised land. And he buries him right there. He could have thrown him off the mountain. He could have disappeared, but he said, no, even in your death, I will be with you. Pretty remarkable. And so then we, we pick up in Joshua chapter one. And this is where things start to take off a little quicker. God goes to Joshua and he says, hey, Moses is dead and you're the man. (laughs) Okay. And then he says, oh, and tell the Israelites in three days, everybody say three. In three days, we're actually gonna go through the Jordan River and we're going to the promised land. Quite the turn of events. You've been wandering for 40 years. The man that has been leading you, the one that has cried out for you, the one that has heard from God, the one that would plead for, for you, to the, to the creator of the earth, the one that you thought was gonna lead you into the promised land, it's not him anymore. He's died and I've buried him. But Joshua, you're about to lead the Israelites and we're gonna do it in three days. That's my kind of planning right there. Bam, 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 let's go. Now when we go on vacation, Brooke has a 10 page report of a checklist. Guys, I know Moses dead. We're going to the promised land, baby, let's go. And so then in Joshua 2, they send out these two spies and they go check out the the promised land and they tell him, hey, especially Jericho, go into Jericho and check it out. And they actually stay at a prostitute's house and they climb out of the window of her house down the walls of Jericho and they go back and they go, dude, the land is awesome. The people actually know that we're coming. Rahab told us that they actually have heard about what God has been doing with the Israelites and they know once we step foot, it's over. And so then in Joshua chapter three, the Israelites, they begin to leave the campsite at Acacia Grove. They have been there for three days and the moment they've been waiting for is about to happen. Joshua chapter three, verses 14 through 16, it says this. It says, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Point number one, God's presence is more important than a process. God's presence is more important. It is way more important than a process. Moses at one point represented the older generation and Joshua was representing the younger generation. God told Joshua all the same things that he told Moses. He said, hey, I'm gonna make you a great leader. You're gonna lead the Israelites. You're gonna go into the promised land. Do not be discouraged for I am with you. Do not have fear. He said, I will be with you as I was with Moses. But what he did not tell Joshua was I will do with you the same way that I did with Moses. It was different. 
But just because one generation may seek God, may worship God, may chase after God different than another generation, it does not mean there has to be division. What's more important, the process of how we seek God are just getting in the presence of the God that we seek. Now, Moses held up a staff and he parted the Red Sea. But the Levitical priests at this point in, in, in Joshua, they, they just let their feet touch and the waters part. God parted the waters both times, but it was completely different. It was a different body of water. It was a different generation. And God did it differently, but it was still what? It was still the same God. The truth is that we may not always comprehend why one generation does something different, but a lack of comprehension cannot transfer to a lack of compassion. My wife, let me break this down for you. My wife, we got baby number three on the way. Be very careful with the next three minutes of the words that I'm gonna say, because I do not wanna be in the streets, okay? The first two pregnancies, from my observance, it's a good word, about a $7 word. From my observance, they seemed a little easy. Okay, now, women, don't you, boy, don't you throw that at me. They seemed a little easy. Now here's why I say that. Because when a woman gets pregnant for the first time, any other woman across the entire globe, they feel the need to go and tell that woman every horror story from the pit of hell about pregnancy. And so they would tell us this, you're gonna get nauseous, you're gonna have migraines, you're gonna throw up every day and night and your hair's gonna fall out. And I'm like, so she's gonna be sick and bald? I love her though. And so they tell her these horror stories and then we had our first child and really she didn't get nauseous that much, she didn't throw up a whole, this did great. We're like, man, that's kind of cool. We had our second child, Ella. A little more complicated, mainly because she's just a girl. You know, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Wasn't that bad? And then this third child, though. Man, this third child, for nine weeks, my wife's been pregnant. For nine weeks, my wife's been nauseous. And so I don't understand. I cannot comprehend how in 90 seconds we can be out the door to go get sushi, but then be back in because she's feeling nauseous, laying on the bed, and then to the toilet vomiting. Now, let me tell you what I don't do in that moment. I don't go, that looks pretty rough. Uh, good luck, did you want the crunchy roll or the su- salmon roll? Like, you okay? Can you give me some water? Yeah, there's some in the fridge. Open the right door, they're on that side. That's called a lack of compassion because I have a lack of comprehension. If I did that in less than 90 seconds, I would be wifeless and homeless really, really quick. But just because I don't understand does not mean that I can't serve. Just because I have a lack of what's, understanding of what's going on does not mean I need to have a lack of heart. And so comprehension says I want, to, I want to understand the why, but compassion says I want to know the who. The next generation desperately wants you to know who they are truthfully before you can ever even understand who they are. Let's take it a step further. The next generation wants you to know who they are before we dissect and criticize what they do. Can we love their heart before we ever judge what they do with their hands? I am so grateful God does not have his love for me based off of what I do for him. That before I could even do anything for him, he still loved me. Even before I committed my first sin, he still had compassion for me. When my son was born on January 25th, 2016, at Woman's Hospital, Brooke and I did not hold our son for the first time and go, buddy, If you can stick to our process, 
And if you do your homework and if you clean your room, we will love you. There's a process in the Musso household, little man. And you can stick to it or you can get to stepping. No. I was a sobbing mess, holding my son. He hadn't messed up and he hadn't done anything right. He hadn't said a word to me, hadn't taken his first steps. He had done nothing to me, but there was just something inside of me that I just had to have compassion and love him. And before you could ever even do anything wrong or right, God has had compassion for us and he loves us. And so it is our job to pass that onto the next generation that his presence is way more important than a process. As a matter of fact, when I tuck my son in at night, we read a Bible story, then we play rock, paper, scissors. He always goes scissors first. I go paper if he's behaved that day, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not kidding you. If he hasn't, I go rock and I smash those scissors. This ain't upward sports, buddy. You're gonna lose today. And then after that, I'm not playing. You can ask my wife, it's kind of sad. But we read a Bible story, rock, paper, scissors. Then we pray and then as I'm leaving the room, I always say this. Almost every single night I say, hey, tell me the two things. And he knows, he goes, there. He goes, number one, I can always tell you anything. He said, two, there's nothing I could ever do to take away your love. And I say, good night, best buddy. He goes, good night, best dad. And I walk out. And that's the routine almost every single night. Why? Because I'm trying to communicate to him, dude, there is nothing you can ever do to change my love for you. And I used to, I'm not gonna lie, I used to judge parents and how they would parent their kids until I got put in that seat, right? And then I called my parents weeping and said, I am so sorry. I never realized how much you loved me until right now. In the middle of our kitchen, holding my son three months old, sobbing my eyes out. They said, it's okay, we're just glad you know now. (laughs) His presence is way more important than a process. Let's continue on with the story. Joshua 3, 17, it says this, it says, meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle, everybody say middle, in the middle of the riverbed as, they, as the people passed by and they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen. We're jumping ahead to Joshua 4.4. 4. He called ahead the 12 men he had chosen, um, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. And 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will set up these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Point number two, your stones, your stones have a story. Your stones have a story and church, your story is worth telling. Now, Keep in mind at this point, now Joshua is the older generation. Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that came back with the good reports and believed and had faith. And so they wandered for 40 years and God said, I'm gonna kill off everybody who did not believe in me. And so that way, it's Joshua and Caleb right now in this moment, they're the older generation. The next youngest person would have been 60 years old, considered to be a part of a younger generation. Come on, if you're 60 today, you are part of the younger generation. That's what I'm talking about. You hanging on by a thread, but you in it, baby. Younger generation. 
And so the Levitical priests enter into the Jordan River and at the touch of their feet to the water, the water parts, and they stand in the middle holding up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. And all of Israel crossed over into the Promised Land. Hundreds of thousands of people. And Joshua, as they get to the other side, Joshua says, man, charge Canaan, take the land, conquer Jericho, we're here. No, he doesn't say that. He actually says, before we go forward, we need to go backwards. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna need one man from each tribe of Israel. Can you imagine that? Joshua, we're here, bro. Our grandparents, our parents have talked about this. They're not here, but we are. I know, but before we even take a step forward, we need to take a couple steps backwards. And so, yeah, I'm actually gonna need one man from each tribe, and I'm gonna need you to go down into the Jordan. I need you to look and get right in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and grab a stone, not a rock, not a pebble, not something light. I want you to grab a stone. I want you to put it on your shoulder, and I want you to walk out because another generation down the road is gonna ask what these stones mean. And you're gonna have to tell them, oh, these stones right here. You see, what's gonna happen is a younger person who's maybe a little immature probably will catch an attitude with you sometimes, uh, is more into social media than into their Bible sometimes. But they have a lot of passion with no direction. See, it's okay for the youth of the church to have the energy, but it is the older generation of the church that has to have the wisdom. They will give the direction. And so what's gonna happen is a person who's immature, doesn't have much life experience, thinks they know everything, but don't know that much. They're gonna say, what, what does that stone mean? And then what's gonna happen, you as the older generation, you're gonna have to step up somebody who's lived a little bit of life. Somebody who's actually maybe knows the consequences of, of, of not handling finances right sometimes. Somebody who's walked through seasons of loss. Somebody who's had the life sucked out of them but know the power of God putting life back into you. Yeah, that person's gonna have to step up and tell them what that stone means. Your stone has a story. Now, can you imagine if you're one of the guys, one of the 12 guys that gets to explain the story of the stones? And so somebody steps up and says, hey, what does that stone mean? And he says, man, I, you don't know about the stones? He says, no, sir, it's just a stone. No, you don't know about these stones? No, can you, what does it mean? Let me tell you about the stones, young man. Let me, let me tell you about the stones, young lady. You gotta understand, we, we wandered for many, many years. My parents told me stories that one day we would enter into the promised land. You gotta know we didn't always live in this land. We actually didn't have a home for almost 80 years. We, we, we didn't know. And so with the land you're standing on today, we had to cross through the Jordan. Bro, you gotta know, we got to the banks of the Jordan River and it was overflowing. And see, Moses, he had held up his staff, but the Levitical priests, they had the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. They were walking in, and everybody, hundreds of thousands of people, we were all looking at Joshua to see if he would hold up his staff or, or reach out his arms. No, 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 God did it different that day, but he was still with us. And the Levitical priests, they just, they just put their feet on the river and the waters parted. And then the priest went in first with the, the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and they stood right there in the middle. And while they stood there, hundreds of thousands of people walked through. And we got to the other side and man, this stone, I had to go back into the Jordan to get this stone. You had to go back in, I had to go back in. 
Why did you go back in? Because we got to the other side. We're saying, Moses, let's go. Let's go to the other side. You see, the first time I crossed over, I crossed over empty-handed thinking about my freedom. But the second time I crossed over, I had this, I had this stone on my shoulder because I wasn't thinking about my freedom. I was thinking about your future. And, and, and we were wanting to just go take the land, but Moses, I mean, Joshua said, no, before we go forward, we got to go backwards. And so well, we did me and 11 other guys, Joshua picked me, bro. Can you believe that? He picked me and we went back into the Jordan River and there was a meeting right there in the middle. A meeting in the middle of the Jordan River and the poor priests, bro, they had been standing there all just so tired. And we're looking for our stone. Which, you, you got that one? That's what I wanted. Okay, you got that. And we just looking and we, and then, and then let me tell you something. And then I got this stone and then I put it on my shoulder. Couldn't be a rock or a pebble, that'd be too easy. This can't be moved by wind. I purposely picked it up. You see, the thing that I had walked over, God told Joshua that I needed to carry it over. And so the things that he did for us, I I had to go back and get it for you. And we crossed over and this is the story of this stone right here. It's the story that that God was faithful. It was a story that God provided for the Israelites again. Church, are you carrying your stones or have you left them in the river? Because God's done some great things in your life. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I wish that I would have ordered a fake rock, a fake stone off of Amazon. (laughs) This beautiful, heavy, kind of stinky stone is right out here from on Highland Road from the bridge that is on Highland right there. If you take a right, there's a little bridge, you'll see it. There's a pile of stones. I got this from there. And it's heavy. And I'm actually, for the first time, starting to sweat. And it takes work. But if you do not remember what God has done for you, the younger generations will cry out for stories of faithfulness. They will cry out to be encouraged to know that back in your day when you were in school, maybe you weren't living for God, but God still saved you at some point. And so you have these stones to tell a story. And so, man, I grabbed the stone, me and 11 other dudes and hundreds of thousands of people watched us carry these stones. And I was looking at one generation thinking about another generation. Church, I know that 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't look down on me. And a lot of the young people, man, they love to quote that verse. Don't look down on me. But let's give them a reason to actually look up too. That there are things that God has done in your life that you need to carry the stone over. It's the story of the stones. You've got to understand that Israelites were God's chosen people and Jesus was God's chosen son. That they camped by the river for three days at Acacia Grove before they would walk into their promise. And Jesus was in a tomb for three days before he would walk out of that grave. The the Ark of the Lord's Covenant was held up by the priest with golden rods that actually had wood on the inside. So it was a wooden rod coated in gold. And Jesus was held up on a wooden cross coated with his blood. And God used the stones of the Jordan to remind people that there is freedom. And God used the stone that was rolled away from that tomb to remind me and you that there is freedom. 
And God would use the Jordan to deliver the Israelites and God has used Jesus to deliver me and you. We have a responsibility. We have a mandate. We can't afford to not do anything. Now I know this is back to school Sunday and I know it's centered around students and teachers and faculty, but if you or anybody with any influence, grandparents, moms, dads, all the faculties of school, if you have influence over any person that is younger than you, then guess what? You have a stone to carry. You have a responsibility to tell them about the goodness of God. When, when I got to speak at Color Clash, Color Clash is an event we do for fifth and sixth grade students and Papa leads it and he does an amazing job and he said, dude, will you speak at it? I said, dude, I'd love to. It's about two, three months ago. I said, I'd love to. And I told Brooke, I said, babe, I think Eli, he's five. I said, I think Eli's old enough and can semi-behave enough where I can bring him with me to actually go speak somewhere. Can I bring him? And she's nauseous. Don't forget, she's, can you bring both? No, I'll just bring one, all right? I'm just picking, I love you, I love you. So I bring Eli and we pull up on the church property and we pull under this overhang right here near the connect foyer. And I'm about to get out of the car and he says, he says, hey dad, thanks for, thanks for doing this so that I can know how to talk to Jesus. I said, what buddy? Y'all know me, man. I was, <laughs> what, what did you say? I said, what'd you say, man? He said, you know, like when you get older, you gotta, you gotta choose to do something and you chose to do this, literally. He says, so now I know how to talk to Jesus. He got a glimpse of a stone that day. And as he gets older, I'm gonna continue to tell him about the stones. Cause see, he just, he just goes into his bedroom at night and he just goes to sleep. He doesn't know that every paycheck is a gift from God, that's a stone. He doesn't know that, that his mama went through seven years of school to be a nurse practitioner and that we get to provide for him in ways that we never maybe, that's a stone, that's a story of God's faithfulness. He, he doesn't know that, that I've struggled with self-worth. He doesn't know that I've doubted my identity and I'm gonna show him that that's a stone one day. There's things that God has done in your life. Do not hide the stones. If you keep those stones, if you keep those stones in the river, that river of regret will wash over those stones and carry them away. But it is your responsibility to go back into the river before you can go forward. Because there's a story of the stones and God is asking you, will you please not just walk over your stones, will you carry over your stones? His presence is so much more than a process and you're, you're responsible. You need to tell the story of your stones. Let's backtrack just a minute as we close. Moses was supposed to be in that promised land. Moses was supposed to lead the people. But he mishandled the presence of God. He mishandled his holiness, which God takes very, very seriously. And God takes Moses up to Mount Nebo and he lets him see it, but he never lets him touch it. Not because he's a cruel or mean God, but Moses was not obedient at Kadesh when he was supposed to demonstrate God's holiness. And so what he failed to do in obedience God only let him admire it at a distance. 
I do not wanna get to the end of my life and see, and see the things that I should have done for God. I don't want my son to graduate high school one day and go, I wish I would have told him about my struggles in high school. I don't wanna walk my daughter down an aisle one day and go, I wish I would have told her how we had to fight for our purity before we got married. Because those stones are too precious, they're too valuable to leave in some old river. It's our responsibility to carry those stones over to tell the stories of the stones. I know Pastor Mike and Rachel went upstairs to pray over all the kids up there, but I'd actually like to reverse it down here. We're not just setting the students up for back to school, we need to set you up. Because <laughs> it's a different season for you too, right? Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.